Hey team, you're about to experience my interview with Ronald Gaines. Ronald is the senior manager of MarTech and data analytics at Sunbelt Rentals. Sunbelt Rentals is a rental equipment company that supplies primarily the industrial and construction sectors. I met Ronald at B2B Online Florida recently, and we had a fantastic chat, and I wanted to get him on the podcast to share all about his journey in data and analytics. Enjoy. Welcome to B2B Commerce Corner. Commerce Corner is a sub-series of the E-Commerce Edge podcast discussing all things B2B commerce through the lens of agencies, consultants, merchants, and more. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the pod. I have a very special guest that I'm going to be presenting to you today. Welcome, Ronald Gaines from Sunbelt Rentals to the podcast. Thank you, Jason. It is an absolute honor and a pleasure to be invited to, to be in this uh, space with you to have this dialogue, man. I'm super excited. I am too. And we were like, you can see the smile on my face. We were having some really funny we finally met for the first time in person at B2B Online Florida a few weeks back. And you and your partner, Robin, were such incredible people. First of all, I had the honor of presenting you in your talking track around some of the digital transformation work that you're doing, particularly in the areas of marketing automation over at Sunbelt Rentals. First of all, I was super impressed uh, by your talk and by not so much what you present presented, but how you presented it and the engagement that you had. You were super engaging, super passionate. Instead of talking from the stage down at people, you got down on the floor and you were wandering in, in people. And, and, and it was just, first of all, it was an amazing presentation. Then when we were at, at one of the private dinners, we got to meet Robin and my wife, Sarah, was there. And I tell you, my wife was totally a little bit concerned when I asked her to come along to this event with me that it would be your typical boring conference sausage fest of tech and that she wouldn't be able to meet any nice people that she could connect with because she's not, my wife doesn't work in this space. She doesn't work in this industry. And so for her, this is very foreign stuff for her. And she's never seen me speak in person before either. And so we were relieved and super excited to, to meet you guys in person and have such a wonderful. Wow. Wow. Let me say Again, I kind of the honor. I'm humbled for all that you said. There's so much to unpack in that because it, just like you, having my partner there to support who is an auxiliary participant to the event, right? She didn't come to the event to speak. That was actually her first time hearing me speak as well, right? And she wasn't one of my biggest supporters and cheerleaders rooting me on. But just like that, just like Sarah, she was very, right, and, and I think that's what we, in, in this space, in this particular type of conference, in digital conference, we may forget because we, we, this digital medium is between us and that end user all the time. And we're, we're trying to pilot experience and relationship between that digital medium. So to actually get to, as you said, press the flesh with real people, to see how they're doing it and crafting, curating experience and figuring out better ways to have relationship. And for her to come and meet real genuine people who are pushing experience forward, it made it relevant, right? And I, I appreciate that opportunity to just connect with you guys. We had just an amazing time, amazing dialogue. 
you are amazing people. And I, I'm like, again, I kind of an honor, man. One, one thing I will say too, it was very intentional of me to have that conversation and that talk that I put on in that fashion. I, I remember call, uh, calling the producer, Ryan, and saying, hey, I want to make sure I change the format of this a little bit. I don't want to dictate for 30 minutes. I want to engage people, right? That's what I do as a, a digital marketer and really a digital transformation leader is really around how do I connect people to our brand, all right? And so connection is the big piece of that, right? And when we think about e-commerce and commerce itself, that is, as I said in my talk, that's where rub and roll meet because that is the intersection point between the brand and the end user. That's where they actually make good on that relationship, right? That's where the value exchange is, right? And so having that opportunity to have a value exchange with a group of peers, I really wanted to engage them. And also, that's why I asked a bunch of questions and got feedback because I wanted to understand that my thinking and, and my expertise is pointed in a great direction or not. Does that make sense? Oh, a hundred percent. And I think that there are a lot of people that kind of pontificate. It's not their fault. Maybe they're not that experienced speaking on stage. Maybe they're really nervous. Maybe they're really shy and they do have great things to say, but they're just uncomfortable presenting in that style of forum. And unfortunately, sometimes as a result of that, their message can get a little bit lost just because they're ju you can just visibly see, hey, look, I don't do this all the time. I, maybe this is my first time doing it. And therefore, I'm almost shell-shocked being on stage and, and trying to present this in a way that is engaging and it doesn't come natural to them. I'm lucky and you're lucky in the sense that speaking on stage or in front of large groups is as natural as breathing to me. And it clearly is for you too. And so it, it is in our nature and it is in our personality. It's, it's like it's in our DNA, right? We're hardwired to, to want that level of engagement and to feel the vibe from the audience. And I said off air that I think leading up to COVID, pre-COVID, I took in-person conferences, events, dinner events, parties, industry events and awards. I took a lot of that stuff for granted because I was going to somewhere between three and 10 events a year. I was speaking at a lot of them. I was emceeing others. I was meeting similar people over and over again and bumping into similar people and similar vendors, et cetera. And I think I'd started to take it for granted a little bit. And I tell you, I haven't been to an in-person event for prior to this one. I hadn't been to an in-person event for over three years. And man, I forgot how awesome it is to go to those in-person events, feel the human connection, feel literally yeah. the physical energy off those people and have that friendly, fun, human banter, and then post-event have banter over a, a shared beer, a, a shared glass of wine without the pressure of needing to perform, just being able to be my normal person. And what I loved and, and what made me feel really good is that there was quite a few people I knew there, but I'd only ever known them digitally previously. And in fact, quite a few of those people had been on my podcast before. And three or four people said to me after they met me in person, God, you are exactly in person like you are when we talk digitally or on a Zoom call or on a podcast. Right. Like you are literally, you, you got exactly the same personality. And to me, that makes me feel super proud that 
look, I'm just, I, I, I try to be as authentic as I can in these kind of conversations as I am in person. And, and I never want to be anything that I'm not. I don't ever want to pretend I'm anything that I'm not. And I can tell because I got to see your amazing presentation. And then I got to speak to you afterwards. You're exactly the same. Like you, you don't put on a front. This is me. This is what I've learned. This is what I'm testing and playing around with. Here's how it might help you. Here's how it might help you overcome some of the challenges that you're experiencing. But please try it out and then let me now know how you go. That's just you. That's you in a nutshell. So yeah, so it was an inclination for me, but infusing authenticity into what I did became a result of understanding that connection was important, right? Not just the product of my function and role and the performance of that function and role, but understanding connection. And what what I mean by that is to do what I do at a high level, I need to be on top of my game. And being on top of my game is to be able to manage myself authentically to to a place that I can just go and do, right? And it's natural. And I'm not worried and thinking and trying to frame how I do my role based on my professional persona or whatever, but actually who I am. And that's how I wanted to really convey, even like like you said, the talk track or my experience and my journey through architecting, creating experience for my customers and my brand. So yeah, I think that connection portion of it, which this is the theme of what we're talking about, it's so important. And that connection and authenticity really breeds, I think, even for a brand, let's relate this to our our professional endeavors. For a brand, it is so like detrimental to be authentic, right? And to allow your end users to be authentic with you. And we see that customers who are able to do that, they they, uh, engage that brand a lot more. And, and that brand engaged them a lot more because of it, right? And because we know that what we do, everything is, the lifeblood of what we do is data. And so to make sure we understand what authenticity looks like for that end user, right? And we get into things that we call like segmentation and, and all of these other tactics that we use to drive experience for that end user. But really, it's really wrapped up in getting to know that person and when you get to know that person, then you get to know how to provide real value for that person. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I think what, and, and just briefly, we'll talk about what Sunbelt Rental does. You guys are yeah. a, it's a mostly a construction equipment hire or rental company and a chain. And so you like rent out scissor lifts and you rent out different trucks and lighting equipment and generators and all sorts of uh, other commercial, I would call it commercial and construction equipment. That's what you guys do. And and then the cool thing is we do more than that too. We have full movie production and video production equipment for rent. We have, if you shoring infrastructure equipment, we have for rent. If you, So if you're trying to create an oil pipeline, we have that kind of equipment for rent. So the full inf- infrastructure of a our nation, our country, we provide those type of resources and not just the resources for commercial construction, right? And then if just your DIYer, if you want to go in and rent a power tool, you can go in and rent a power tool. So from the everyday working man to the big infrastructure 
companies and enterprises out there, we have all the equipment that you need. And what I loved about your talk, and I think we can go into this a, a little bit before we move on mm -hmm. to, to some other things I want to talk about. I love the fact that you effectively built out some automation workflows in-house that would typically need to be delivered either by a custom bespoke system or by some heavy customization of an off-the-shelf SaaS platform, say, for example. And so you wanted to achieve some very specific things that were unique to the Sunbelt Rentals brand experience that you yeah. couldn't find out of the box kind of anywhere else. Or if you did get it out of the box, it probably would have been insanely expensive. And so you, you said, well, okay, maybe we have to go that route, but maybe not. Maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it upon myself to experiment and see if I can build this automation in-house yeah. that gives me an edge and gives our brand an edge over some of our competitors and some other players that maybe aren't even competitors, but just gives us that personalized experience in ways that we're really trying to create that authentic engagement at every touch point. But we can't do that if we are not able to track those customers throughout their journey with us and make the make the way we engage with them relevant to that touch point. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit, but not so much the specific outcome of yeah. what you built, but more importantly, the sense of curiosity, the sense of almost like the MacGyver attitude. Oh, hey, I don't necessarily need to go and buy a $100,000 piece of software to achieve the things I want to achieve if I'm willing to put a little bit of elbow grease in and do a little bit of in-house development to make this happen. Yeah, there's, I like, this is good. I want to unpack that because there's a lot to unpack in that. And I'll try to keep it brief. We got to think of a few different things, right? You got to think of your function and expertise. So revenue ops, marketing operations and marketing automation and all of that, right? For a particular brand, you think about what you contribute. And my thing is I think about capability. I want to make sure my marketers have the cutting edge capabilities to be best in industry. So when I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about my particular function to, I own the full marketing tech stack. So owning the marketing tech stack and figuring out our maturity roadmap on how we're going to mature our roadmap, right? And being a leader in digital transformation, I think about, okay, we're making this investment in these technologies and tools. How are we, and the way that we approach transformation, we're doing it in cycles, right? So transformation is, some companies look at transformation as a one and done thing, but transformation should be onto evolution. It's a consistent change. So we have multi-year cycles in which we look at how we're transforming and then as a result, investing to transform our companies. And so what I can do to support that as a transformation leader is thinking about, okay, this is what we're investing in and this is the type of capabilities that this is going to be able to give us. What use cases can I achieve and how can I advance this technology within that multi-year cycle? And so now I'm keeping our brand cutting edge on evolution because I am getting the most out of that tech stack. So I'm really being very intentional about how I'm maturing the tech stack, right? And then on top of that, when I think about the curiosity portion, the more personal portion to me, um, I'm a tech geek, man. I'm, I'm having fun with it. So I'm trying to figure out what we can do and what envelopes can we push 
And I want to get to a point where I, I say, oh, that can't be done. So then I can make the case to my business to say, if this is the next evolution of our growth and scale, it's hinged on this capability, we need this. Because I have now matured it to a point where we can't do more with it. And, and I've shown you, because I'm actually aggressively going after and making sure I'm setting our marketers up to hit certain metrics and KPIs with the capabilities I'm setting up, that now, like, this has contributed to the business in this way. And as marketers, that's very important for us, right? But then now I'm at a point where I can't, our growth is stunted and we now need that leadership to come in and, and based on my expertise and recommendations to say, hey, okay, this is what's next for our tech stack. This is what's next to help our brand get to this next level. So I'm happy to be able to go do more with less. We're all being asked to do that. So I'm finding creative ways to do that. And I, I'll tell you a couple of things. Having the internal expertise and having external expertise. If you don't have one, get one or the other. <laughs> or preferably both. <laughs> preferably both. And this is, the, this is the thing that blows everybody's mind. The things that I've done over my tenure with this company already, I'm a team internally of two people. It's just, we, we do a lot, but I, then I have partnerships with external resources and support that can help me retrofit the expertise or the personnel that I may need in to continue to mature what I'm doing and do some custom things like that. I think it makes for better theater. Let's say that. <laughs> and I want to put this into context for the audience and just put it out there that Sunbelt has over 10,000 employees, hundreds of branches. They operate across multiple verticals and industries. They serve yes, B2B yeah. primarily, but also direct end to consumer rentals. This is, a, this is not a small organization. This is a no. very large organization that touches many verticals, industries, and regions of the United States. And for you to do what you do with a team of two, and then be able to iterate on that and be able to then have the commercial acumen and nows to know upfront, hey, if I want more investment in what I'm doing, whether that be increasing my team size, changing our tech stack, adding to it, augmenting it, integrating it into other systems in our business system, a management system stack, then I got to make the business case and I got to make it every yeah. budget cycle. I got to manage my P&L and I have to manage the requirements within the context of a demonstrable business case. And I have to justify why we can't do these things with what we're doing today and the stack and the technology that we have today. And I think that feels like something that maybe younger and more inexperienced marketers haven't yet figured out that in order, you'll get support from the CFO, you'll get support from the COO, you'll get support from sales, you'll get support from these teams if you can really create a very succinct, very digestible business case, I don't mean death by PowerPoint where you have 50 slides. No, like what you presented was impactful and it, it only took five slides and it was super impactful. You're like, here's where we started. Here's what we were trying to achieve. Here's what we did to do it. And here's the result. And here's the time frame it took us to do it. And like any human being, even a, serious, even a senior leader with, with its very time poor, can look at that and, and, and make instant sense of that. It's, it's like the show don't tell mantra, right? 
You can say yeah. as much as you like, but a picture is truly worth a thousand words. And when you make something visual and engaging like that, business leadership responds really favorably to that. One that thing, yeah, that is very good call out. One of the things that I have learned in my many years in marketing, I actually started out in sales, right? And, and when you start sales and anyone tells you when you start out in, in a sales function, P&L, you got to own P&L to grow. Right. But going into marketing, it was hard to show our contribution to battle line and have P&L. Right. We know we have expenditures to power our marketing campaigns and fund our marketing campaigns. But can I show that how I'm attributing real dollars to the business from these marketing campaigns? Right. So that's the full circle. But in and knowing that and having that experience and then being technical, one of the things I had learned early in my career is the intersection as a marketer of being a little technical, being a little business minded, right? And understanding how to bridge the two worlds. When you are able to talk at a use case and then switch that into real requirements for how you're going to execute a campaign strategically and tactically, then what you do is you can effectively bridge the gap for your leadership. And I, I've I found that, like you said, doing it in a very concise way, thinking like a leader, right? That executive summary type of thinking of, okay, here's what I'm trying to drive. This is what I'm impacting. Here's how you're going to measure what I'm impacting. Here's the tactic and strategy that I'm going to use to make this impact. And this is, and this is the outcome that I'm projecting to see. Right. And let's see where we land. And then you optimize. And and true modern markers now is optimization. And that's just data. So I gotta make sure I build my data framework so I can show the business the result of all of this. It does. And how do you differentiate between and how do you have the very difficult conversation at the most senior levels of the business in the distinction between marketing activities? and campaigns that will drive conversion immediately, meaning maybe it's maybe we're running some meta campaigns, maybe we're running some Google campaigns, and those, those are orientated within conversion within 30 days of that campaign running. And maybe those are some of our continuous campaigns that are always running. And then we have some other more strategic initiatives that are around brand building. And so we wouldn't necessarily have an expectation that those people who are exposed to those brand-focused campaigns are gonna convert within 30 days. We wanna be top of mind so that whenever someone does have, have a need for our services and products, that we are the only name that they think of in that period of consideration, they may not be considering us now because they don't need our products or services now, but they will. They will at some point. And so how do you make that distinction? Because almost all current marketing attribution software can only capture the direct line of sight between campaign on a digital channel, click through, land, go through a certain period of behavior or process of behavior on the website, and then at some point convert because we can now track them through uh, tagging, right? And you talked a little bit about this, but there's a whole lot of activities that a marketing team needs to do on a consistent basis that is influencing the category, is influencing the desirability of the brand is doing things that, that 
the goal is not to convert within 30 days, but they're still essential because you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be doing demand capture activities, but you also have to be doing demand generation activities. And the demand gen side happens sometimes in places that are untrackable. They happen, they happen in, in videos, they happen in dark social, they happen in places where you will never know. You can't draw a straight line between this conversion and this activity. So that's a hard conversation for marketers to have with leadership. When you can't draw a straight line between an activity and a conversion that happened within the last 30 days, that's a hard conversation to have. Yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's a little bit of them not really understanding. I will say this. Here's how I'll answer this. As marketer and marketers, we have a tool, which we call our funnel, right? But we have to get past just the funnel itself. We use the funnel as a guide, but the funnel is a real perspective of the full customer experience and journey. And you have to keep that in full context, right? And the nugget here for maybe novice marketers is there is no vision without sight. If you want to be a visionary, you need to sight. You need hindsight. You need insight, you need foresight, right? So you got to get in your data to get that kind of sight. You know what has happened across that customer journey. Look at your data. It is to tell you, like, because when you talk about that top of funnel activity of brand my and that v value proposition of why my brand and why you will want to come to my brand to get information and resources and see if our solutions meet your need. But then... You then got to understand then what goes the next layer when you're going, pushing them down more to solution specific. This is what a customer is really looking to do. This is what their real needs are. And I have to create trust at that top level and show that the value proposition that I'm giving makes that I may be a good or my brand may be a good resource to provide you a little bit more detail around solutioning for your current needs. And then from there, how do I then talk about, is this the right solution and not my competitor's solution? And this is the full, so you as a marketer need to understand your storytelling and you got to understand the full story. If you don't know the full story, you can't tell the story. So you can't have that real conversation with leadership around how this one marketing activity and where it is on the customer journey that this activity is happening and how it influences that bottom line, right? Because at the if they never come into our brand and be introduced to our brand, they never get to the bottom of the funnel to convert. So that's why it's important that we're paying for display right now. And it, it's at this clip and, and at this cost. The play, pay for display to get those people introduced to our brand so then we can start to show that we are thought leaders in this solution space that they want to get to intimately know us a little bit more and how we will solve their particular need, right? And then it goes into why are we putting this content out there in this content magnet? We're putting this content out there right now because anyone who is looking for this particular solution, they need resources and information. We're in a digital age. We're in a self-serve age. So we need to make it accessible to that end user for them to self-educate. And if we are the thought leaders who are self-educating them, then we show that we know about their problem and their need, and we know about how to fix their problem and their need. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And, and I, I wonder if 
let, let's shift gears a little bit here and let's talk about the revenue split in the business. I don't need exact numbers or commercially sensitive information, but roughly, pardon me, what percentage of your customers would you consider to be B2B customers, meaning you're renting and you're leasing potentially long-term to businesses versus that home handyman? Is it weighted very heavily towards business customers versus end-user customers? Very heavily. And I think traditionally we are a B2B company. Right. And I think the lack of information that we have solutions for the everyday individual is starting to catch on and we're starting to have market share there, but we're heavily skewed towards the B2B in. Now, that must be an additional challenge in terms of the marketing mix and the messaging mix, because you almost have two different funnels. Right. So, for example, your message to industry might be. Top of the funnel might be something, something message might be, don't buy that piece of capital intensive equipment, come and rent it instead. For example, that might be your, if you're engaged in this massive construction project, don't go buy $20 million worth of of equipment. You don't need to own that. You don't need to have that equipment on your balance sheet. You can come rent it instead on a project basis. But your message or your equivalent message to the home handyman might be, don't go down to Home Depot and buy an angle grinder when you can come and rent it from us for $20 a day, say, for example. So similar message, but the way in which you contextualize that message at every point within the engagement journey is going to be completely different. And so even the little words you use, even the little images you use, just everything about that journey, similar concept, but very different in the type of campaigns that you would run, correct? A hundred percent. And it's really getting to know your customers and your end users intimately, right? Because when you think about that marketing mix, it also goes into the mix of strategy and tactics you use, right? And our business is a a brick and mortar legacy business. And so from a brick and mortar legacy business where we know that is most of our B2B customers, now having to be competitive in this digital age is thinking, okay, We need to make sure that we have additional digital channels for those customers, but then we have our B2C customers. How would, how do we think they're going to use us and especially at scale? And so that's where we think, start thinking about our digital channels, right? And what they will be able to see and do online because, and even in the way that our brick and mortar locations are structured are by the different types of equipment that we have, right? But when, even though we have the warehousing to, to get any equipment anywhere, think about you as an individual wanting that angle grinder and being able to reserve it online and going to pick it up by your nearest location, that creates that kind of efficiency and convenience that you as an end user would want, right? And for a B2B customer, they may want, their, their needs may be a little bit different because you, you're going to use your bring out your debit card, you're going to transact with us, you're going to go on. But a B2B customer may want an invoice being produced so they can track there. And there has to be certain operations in, in, in place to be able to support that customer in that way. And I'm so, guessing that might, ex- sorry to interrupt, that, I'm guessing that might even extend down to ops and the type of ops offering you, you provide to those two different customer groups. So for example, you might say our B2B customers are always, even if it's a big giant freaking caterpillar or something like that, whatever it is, a tractor, whatever, 
they're going to 99% of the time, they're going to come to our yard. They're going to hitch that up to their truck and they're going to drive it to the job site, for example. But you might behind the scenes be thinking, is that kind of service relevant to a D2C or B2C customer where that B2C customer might prefer to pay online for the rental, pay extra to have that literally shipped to my door, that angle grinder put in a box, shipped to my door. And then also they would, maybe they're prepared to prepay for that to be picked back up again with a return label. Where, whereas, so that entire engagement could look completely different in, with a B2B customer scenario and a B2C customer scenario, right? Of course, 100%. And I think that's why it's really important that even in your operations, it's to think like you can't estrange marketing from other parts of operations. Your main operations, your sales operations, your financial operations, if you exchange marketing from those, that's what you will get, right? And then you, like what we communicate and how we communicate, how we will support our customers, that's even a part of it because now as a part of our new customer life cycle, there's a customer success motion in, in business, right? And that's where that customer success motion comes in is to really make good on all that we said that we will be able to do and, and um, provide operationally to that end user, right? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I guess operationally, you, you can't offer something through marketing that ops can't deliver on or says that they can't deliver on or ne never even considered delivering on because you never. So sometimes I find that the concept of customer experience innovation sometimes actually has to originate in marketing, but it has to be executed on by the entire rest of the business to make good on that promise that you eloquently referred to, this promise that we make to the market through marketing uh, every other department in the business has to be able to deliver on that promise. Otherwise, we're no longer authentic and it damages our brand. And so I, I wonder how often you in your role and your team of two, how often you guys are the genesis of true transformation in terms of CX because you go, hey, we understand this customer avatar, this, this B2C customer avatar, for example, is totally different to our B2B customer avatar because we're creating conversations with them every single day. We're getting feedback. We're having them fill out NPS feedback, for example, or we're sending them questionnaires about how their experience was with this individual location. Or maybe we're trying to do a STEM campaign because somebody hasn't rented with us in, in two years. Or we're just closer as marketers. We're oftentimes closer to the customer than the ops people are who only deal with kind of the almost being the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, so to speak. Yeah. And, and so do you see that marketers really should be, in order to be a truly modern marketer, you actually have to ha understand the full spectrum of impact of any marketing initiative you undertake? A hundred percent. And I, I think if you're a modern marketer and you don't understand that full impact, you're doing yourself and your brand a disservice. You have to understand your impact and how the product impacts the customer how the customer impacts the brand. If you don't understand full circle and full cycle, all of those impacts, then what you do is you lose context, right? We, you, you said something like that, that innovation and incubation of new ways of doing things and new perspective of doing things is important because even at market, like I accept my role as a marketer knowing that it's an enablement function to the business, right? 
And it's, and I will admit that it's a sales enablement function, right? That's part of the marketing function, but it's an operations enablement function too. And when you think about like product and product teams and right, and so you got product managers, ah, and then you want a strategy on how your product is going to get out here in the market. And then if you don't understand, if you don't bridge that gap with the marketing team, understand their understanding of the end user and customer, how they interact, because what we know is not just what they want, but how they interact with us, how they're looking to interact with us, how forgiving they are or not. How they run. It's very important to have this context when we think about our product strategy. It's very important. And so when we think about full operations, when you think about revenue ops, and this, this is it's this new concept of let's let's roll sales operations, marketing operations, and and other operational processes up into one department. This is important because we need this synergy. It it always existed, even though maybe there was some divide and was siloed in the way that business operated in legacy. But now you just cannot operate that way anymore because this the pace a business that happens currently, you have to keep up. And if without that feedback loop and knowing what one hand is doing versus the other is so important, right? What sales campaigns are you running? Is it parallel to the marketing campaign? Are we saying the same thing? Are we communicating the same thing? Is it really hinging on the same value propositions that we're trying to put out? Are the expectations that we're putting out, right? Are we gonna make good on the value that we said that we're gonna deliver? Right. And if we, if, if it's off and that could even be like, when I say operations is important because if I say, cause you know, at the intersection of commerce, they look at, oh, delivery time is going to be how long? If the delivery time is going to be too long, maybe you're not the brand for me. Yeah. Maybe I need to start this project on Monday and I can't come and get it, pick it up from you on Monday because either you're out of stock or you need to book four days in advance or wh whatever the rules are operationally that you have to adhere to to be able to deliver, maybe that no longer fits the market need as elegantly as it should to win the most business possible. And so I, I also think in some occasions, ops can actually do more than we're aware of, or we would be able to market better if we went, we had a conversation with them and, and either ask the question and say, if we made this promise to the market, would you be able to deliver on that or, or ops team? What are some things we could do to add value to our process that I'm not even aware of as a marketer because I don't do, I don't do your job every day. So I don't know what could we do to make it easier for you to give new services to the customer that you could already do today, but because we haven't sold that into the market, we, we're not even known for that. But, and, and so therefore customers don't expect it of us, but what is something that A, could make your job easier if we did it that way and sold it that way? But also, yeah. what are some things that you do today that we don't necessarily market as a benefit of engaging with us as a brand? So I, I feel like those cross-functional operational discussions between finance, between ops, between sales, marketing, I, I just, I, I think that most brands underappreciate just how important cross-functional, like operationalizing cross-functional conversations, like how important that is and how if you don't do that, you are basically shooting yourself in the foot. Yes, sir. You are shooting yourself in the foot. Businesses and brands that are not getting that sophisticated 
And I, I say sophistication, and it's not really sophistication. I think it's table stakes at this point in the game. It's you cannot keep up with the scale and pace of our digital world. We live in this digital world, and when a customer comes into a brick and mortar store and how they interact with us, like it's just going to be a rhythm and cadence to that. But online, the velocity in which people interact and they are, they come into our brand, they look at, at our solutions, they look at what we're about, and they make up their mind is so fast. You don't have a lot of opportunity to get it done. So you have to make good the first time. That's why it's the right content at the right time to the right person, right? Why we say that? Because it's so important because in a store, in a physical presence with somebody, I can ascertain those things because I can qualify their need. I can understand their need. I can see and help them understand whether this maps to their need. But digitally, I have to set it up so that they can do that on their own and they can come to that conclusion very quickly and relatively quickly and then making sure that from them making that decision, I can supply what I said I would supply, right? And in the way that I said, if it's going to be a three-day delivery, it, it I need to have a process zipped up and shipped out and on their doorstep in three days because that's the expectation. And then if I say, hey, it's, it's going to be this quality, it's going to last this long, this, it has to be that. And why is it important for finance? And why is it important? Because finance, especially when we go for our budgets, we go for our budget. I want to show you, this is the traffic that I generated from this traffic. This is the conversions. This is the revenue that was created. And from that, I'm showing my contribution, that P&L to the bottom line. And, and then again, if it's the expectation of the customer, how, the, especially in a B2B sense, how will they be billed? Is that going to be in that net 30 days? They're going to be billed. It's going to be shipped out. They're going to be able to do it through their own procurement system, so on and so forth. And I, I think that's hard. It's a hard requirement to make sure that what we say we're going to do, we do, right, across the whole business. And I find that finance leaders in particular, and this is something that also I don't think it's mm -hmm. talked about in us, finance leaders will give you all the tools to be able to do your job well if you're also meeting their needs. And I'll give you one example of that. So in a scenario where, in, in a B2B scenario where it's say net 30, but it's, but they've got credit limits and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes those B2B payment methods have either a higher or lower cost associated with them versus the traditional D2C, B2C payment methods of say credit or debit card in advance or say cash over the counter and there's cash handling fees, et cetera. Every single payment method has its own cost framework associated with it. And so they might say to you, finance might say to you, actually, you have less to play with in this area because the cost to acquire those customers and maintain those customers is higher to us as a business. Whereas in this segment of customers, you can spend more money acquiring those types of customers because they have a much higher lifetime value with us. Plus, they've got a much lower cost structure in terms of cost to serve. But if you don't, if, if you don't have a close relationship with your finance team, if the finance team scares the shit out of you, 
and you are not prepared to sit down and listen to some of these insights that the finance team can give you, then you will not be given the appropriate budget for the appropriate activities because you are not taking their insights into account when you do that. And so I, I think just as important as to take into account ops, man, you better have a pretty tight relationship with your finance team. percent, And that's, again, there is no vision without sight. You, finance is a resource for a lot of rich data. When the business is, when you think about the business leaders and the way that they're steering our business and our brand, it's based off of a lot of that financial data, right? same kind of data they report to our our stakeholders and, and board members, et cetera. To understand that kind of data and be able to infuse that into how you think about your strategy, right? Like you said, now I know, hey, I need to make sure my, my marketing strategy is looking at that type of customers where I can spend a little bit more money. And I, okay, all right, that makes sense. And how this is going to impact the business or... If you may have a challenge with that and say that type of customer is a little bit harder to acquire or to get through our conversion path. Okay. So I, that gives me equipment with information to make my case of why I believe we still need to find a better way to go after these other customers, right? And what creative ways that I can do that, right? Or, or fix our process internally to make this better for these type of customers right? Maybe the business needs to think into, hey, our processor, our vendors for taking payments, it may need to change on the back end because of this, right? Because of the cost to us, right? And knowing that, hey, we can get this type of customer five times more than this other type of customer, right? And maybe this customer, especially the way that we drive our brand Maybe this is where we need to acquire the real market share for our business. So it really depends on your business, but that financial data is so important to really understand where your brand is driving to and how you can hit your, yourself to that wagon, right? And it, it ties full circle back to what we said when you're thinking about, hey, I, I want to go for this type of budget for my next fiscal year. Okay, I understand what the, the business is trying to do their business goals, where they feel it like to make an impact. Now, I just need to map up where my marketing activities and campaigns is going to support that goal, right? For us, that's the heads that we bring into the door. The people that we are introducing to our brand and making advocates and customers to our brand. And when we can map that up to say, this type of customer is helping us acquire this type of market, market share that is going to help us in our long-term goal that we had set out. And so this is why it's going to cost us much this year to position ourselves for the next four or five years, right? So this is a full circle thing. And I'm telling you, like you to really hone in on your point, even finance as an operational uh, division of the business it's important to make sure it's integrated into that full operations perspective, especially as us as marketers looking on how we impact all of those other areas of the business. And how do you think, and, and look, I so appreciate your, your time with me today. We're, we're, we're coming near to the end of our time today, but how do you think about the lens of every single function in the business 
is marketing, whether we realize it or not. And what I mean by that is uh, marketers oftentimes think, oh, I'm responsible for performance or I'm responsible for the traditional marketing in the business, maybe the billboards, TV ads, whatever it is. I'm responsible for these specific channels or tactics, whether they be pure marketing or transactional channels. I'm responsible for this set of marketing activities. And that's what we collectively call marketing. I personally am not a big fan of that singular lens on marketing because I am of the view that everything we do that exposes that every single touch point and activity that exposes us to a customer in any way is marketing, whether we like it or not. So in other words, our customer service, when they ring customer service and they have questions, the experience they have, good or bad, that's marketing. When they call the finance team and they say, hey, I've got a discrepancy on my statement. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about that and figure out what's going on. That is marketing. Uh, I yeah. go to a I go to a physical store and let's say something's gone wrong and this piece of equipment that was supposed to be reserved for me for some reason is not available. How they respond to that, how they fix my problem, how they say, hey, look, this is due back in tomorrow morning. I will personally bring it out to the job site for you so that you don't lose in any time. That is marketing. Like literally every single touch point and experience that someone has with our brand, in my opinion, is marketing. It might be good, it might be bad, but it sure is marketing, whether you like it or not. I like it. I like it. I like it as a perspective. And what's glaring is if you look at any customer lifecycle journey, whatever, at the beginning of that journey, it's always marketing. Always, right? And then you think about everything that you said, all of these rich examples, you know what? Guess who manages the perception of that interaction? Maybe you had a, a bad interaction with customer, customer service. Okay. In today's digital age, our users can provide feedback in a myriad of ways, especially like social, right? And who is then managing that sentiment then? It's marketing, right? It's, it's marketing trying to make good on all the interactions that the brand had, like you said. So if it sells, I have my own personal views of that because I was a salesperson, so I can speak on it. But I, I, I say this. Sales job now is just not to mess it up because customers are so smart and they have all the resources at their hand that they make up their dis mind already. And it, what the, the statistics is what 70, 80% of customers, once they talk to sales, they're already, they're closed. <laughs> That's it. You just don't mess it up now. Just be healthy. At this yeah. And, and if it's like a billing issue and you're talking finance and this, okay, that is a part of customer service and customer experience. And there is no customer service and there's no customer experience without marketing and without sales. I, I'll put both of those in there because I believe they're two sides of the same coin, but marketing is embedded in everything we do because it is the mouthpiece of the brand. It is the true perspective and image of what the brand is, right? And that is what customers harden their opinions on about who we are and what we can do for them. Couldn't agree more. Wow, what an amazing conversation. And nearly an hour is just absolutely flown by. Just went so fast because I've so, so, so enjoyed this conversation. We're now at the point where I get to flip the script, where I get to hand the microphone over to you. Oh, I, get, oh. I, get to, I get to let you ask me one question, any question you like, and it can be personal or professional. Ronald Gaines from Sun Belt Rentals. What is your question for me today? See, he didn't even prep me. No, I'd, I'd like to spring this on you, man. I like the authentic, I like the authentic Ronald here. I know you can handle it. That's why I did it. Okay. Ready? 
This is good. This is good. All right. All right. Here it is. What is, in your opinion, as a marketer in this digital space, as a pioneer in being a thought leader and focal point of commerce and marketing, we talked about our authenticity. What is the biggest impediment to being authentic in this digital age? Wow. What a, a great um, question. You didn't give me time. So what a cool question. I love it, man. That's killer. That, that puts me back on the spot. I love it. I think from a personal perspective, more than a corporate brand perspective, so I'll address both. I'll address both okay. and I'll address them in order. So I think the challenge with some people from a personal brand authenticity perspective is in order to be authentic, you actually have to know who you are and you have mm. to be comfortable in your own skin. And I think that a lot of people, they spend so much time trying to make friends or impress people or climb the corporate ladder or keep their job, get a job, feed their family. They have so many obligations and commitments to people other than themselves that they get locked in that. And they actually don't, if you to ask them who they are, they, they don't know who they are. They, they, they don't really, they're not, they can't put that in, in a succinct sentence. And so therefore, they're, they are, they play the role of a chameleon really well because that's what they've had to do to make their way through life. And I think that's really sad. And I think that's slowly changing the expectation that people are real and raw and authentic. I, I think to some degree, society says that's what you should be and that's what you should do. But the cost to being that and doing that is very high. And we see that even in social media and censorship, even in the United States, which is in theory, land of the free home of the brave, in social media, that certain posts, they're going to get censored, man, if you're raw self. And so I think that people self-censor because they want to keep their job. They want to, they want all these things, all these obligations they have just to get through life, they self-censor. And so therefore they can never fully be their authentic self because they have too many tie downs that would prevent them from being real. And they don't have, you've heard the, the concept of FU money. When you get to a point in your life where you got FU money and now you don't have to answer to anybody, you don't have to be responsible to anybody. You have enough money to where you can now just be real, raw and authentic without consequence or at least financial consequence anyway. And, and that's what I would say about authenticity is that people actually need to know themselves before they can be themselves. And I think that's the journey that we're on as human beings. It's a journey to understand yourself first so that you can have empathy and understanding for other people. That's what I believe. Uh, oh, wow. I have, that's really good answer. Okay. I want to hear the corporate one. That was a phenomenal answer. I will say so myself, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Look, I, I think corporates, they fall into a few different buckets. When they're still owner and founder or owner or founder led, they can be much more themselves. They can be much more authentic because the corporate culture is the founder's culture. The company inherits the founder's culture. So if the founder is, is a bit of a harsh prick, that's probably the personality that the business is going to have. If the founder is a really empathetic, caring, kind person that has that natural empathy gene, then the company is probably going to be a very empathetic, caring company, right? And, and that's going to be authentic to that brand. Where the disconnect comes is when VCs or private equity get involved, a company goes public, a company gets bought out, there's a merger acquisition activity. 
that's when there can rapidly become a disconnect between what the founder intended and what the brand starts to do and be in the market. And again, it comes back to the expectations of the market or the people that are actually pulling the purse strings of that business. Because if you, once you have shareholders, especially once you're a public company, your job number one is maximizing shareholder value. And, you, and if you wanna be that kind, caring, empathetic brand, you have to justify that financially to your shareholders and how that adds shareholder value to your brand, right? And I think that's hard to do. And so I see a lot of brands lose their way, which is probably why when companies first go public at a, just a ridiculous valuation, the vast majority of those companies lose value, it, it, like sometimes massive amounts of value in the first 12 months. Because all of a sudden there's an understanding that now they're answerable to the market, not an owner and their bestowed culture. That is amazing. And, and I, I want to bring up one thing. And I see this in my brand, and I think this is, is a great point to also make in the dovetail to what you said. I totally agree with all of that. I feel like my brand has a little bit different of a challenge in their authenticity. And we didn't get to cover this topic much in today's conversation, which is like digital transformation, true transformation of a company. And scale, when a company has a culture, they have identity, they're trying to go to this next level or have naturally, in my brand's case, have scaled to this level, but it's really established at this very small, more intimate way. It's how to infuse this thing about us to this broader, bigger scaling mammoth of a entity. And I think that's also a way that a lot of brands may lose their way with authenticity is during that transformation and that scale is making sure you're thinking about culture. You're thinking about your identity with that scale. And I, I, one, and I think that's been a fun part of the journey with Sunbelt Rentals is they, and I'll be really frank, are an enterprise company. We actually have over 20,000 companies, 13,000, 1,300 locations. We're 10 billion or more in profit. So we are an enterprise company on the paper, but internally we're a mom and pop shop. But the thing is, we have a lot of smart people. We're understanding on how to fill the corners of this big space that we, big shoes that we're walking in and making sure that now this mom and pop energy and culture and camaraderie that we have can be matriculated in our scale and, and transformation. And so that's very important that you're infusing that with the scale and infusing your the authenticity of the brand. And, and that should also be, be displayed in the marketing in itself, right? It should be displayed in that external view of who we are. So it's very important for brands to be authentic, but also think about that in their evolution as well. Wow, you just raised a good point, and I'm going to say something that I'm pretty sure I've never said in nearly 300 episodes of this podcast, and it's because you said what you just said. I have always believed that brand guidelines could actually be called culture guidelines. That's what I believe. I believe the brand guidelines, but sure, there's the fonts and the colors and, the, and, and maybe the tone of voice and maybe our, our customer avatars and all those things become part of our brand guidelines. 
But really what we're trying to convey is culture guidelines. That's really what we're trying to convey to internal teams, to service providers, to our mm -hmm. customers and the broader market. We're trying to convey our culture through all of those touch points and through all of those assets. We're actually trying to convey culture. We're not, brand is nothing without culture. And you can either have a, and you can either have a default culture, which it just evolves quote unquote organically, or you can have an intentional culture and that's your choice. Wow. Wow. We got to do this more often. This man, that is, that is, I, I, I love that. I love that as a perspective and a view. This is something that I want to champion in conversations. I want to take that same perspective of you because I, I definitely agree with it. And, and I, that's why as a marketer in what I do and being a center of like operations is I'm a stickler for how many channels are we deploying in and how many channels are we meeting our customers in and does our brand and our brand standards, is it consistent across all of those channels? Are we saying the same thing? Are we displaying the same thing and showing who we are across all of those channels consistently and accurately and, and cohesively? If you're not doing it, I'm telling you, it's a disconnect. And that's why customers may feel like this may be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because like- You're saying one thing, but you're right. something else. And then I, I look at this and then I come to your side and it's, oh, or I come to your site looks great, but your marketing across channels, it doesn't show and display the same kind of care and the same message that we're putting out through our brand standards. And I, so I, I am, I definitely agree with that. I, I love that. And I'm going to take that away from this conversation. Brother, this has been an absolute pleasure. If people want to get a hold of you and have a yarn, I know you're trying to open up, brother. I know you're trying to forge these personal connections. I, I know you want to get out of this work from home bubble. So if people want to have a conversation with you, are they best to just reach out to you on LinkedIn and DM you or what, what's yeah, the best? Yeah, LinkedIn would be the best channel to reach me at. Definitely send me a personal message or connect with me. I'm always looking to expand my network and add value to your network. I'm a I have been working to make sure that it's just not one way and it's just not transactional. I'm, I'm here to talk shop, to, to refine my expertise around other leaders in the industry or just marketers, period. There's something for me to learn and, and something for me to share. So definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. Jason, listen, I appreciate this opportunity, man. This has been a great conversation. You and your beautiful wife, uh, you guys are just great people and I appreciate the connection here. Mate, I was so proud to introduce you at B2B Online Florida. It was so cool to be able to introduce you to that audience and then to get to meet the man behind the myth in that post-event conversation, man. I seriously enjoyed it and I cannot wait to do this again soon. Thank you so much for your time. We'll chat soon. Are you a B2B or D2C e-commerce merchant? Then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business.